I'm uh, I'm indulging myself by talking about what about Blue Ocean I love as I retire. So this is part two of four. Um, but as I uh, approach retirement in, I guess it's six weeks now, I've had the um, I've had the very unusual luxury as a pastor of like completely easing up on future planning for the church. And it has opened up in my brain just lots of space to focus instead on the personal blessing Blue Ocean has been to me as a pastor. So that's that's the focus of this little uh, series. So um, you may know I've had like three major uh, chapters in my pastoral career over many decades. I had uh, about 15 years as a pastor or leadership in an intense charismatic renewal community in Ann Arbor composed of Catholics, Eastern Orthodox and Protestants of many stripes who maintain connection to their different churches, kind of an unusual, an unusual thing. And then over 20 years, I was affiliated with an evangelical denomination with uh, charismatic leanings. Charismatic generally refers to like Pentecostal or interested in the gifts of the spirit, healings, that sort of thing. Uh, that, uh, that group originated in the hippie Jesus movement of the 1970s. And then eight years here at Blue Ocean. So my first two chapters included uh, many wonderful experiences, but I, I also do carry some painful memories and regrets about that time as a pastor, as my faith perspective, as has happened for so many of us, have evolved over the years. Um, by far, my years at Blue Ocean have been the most rewarding years of my career. And today I wanna to focus on one feature of that, uh, the sense of acceptance or safety I have known here. Um, some preliminaries on that word safety, I can't help but notice that Francis, but by the way, that was just excellent. Those are excellent tips for retirement, let alone going back to school. So um, I, I, I think you can get that in the chat somehow through the transcript. Marcia was mentioning that in the chat. I gotta figure that one out. But anyway, um, Francis mentioned safety a number of times. Um, it's, uh, it's telling, I think, that the phrase safe spaces has become like this big fighting words for what David Gushy calls authoritarian reactionary Christianity. This is a movement that has infected a large swath of the contemporary landscape. It, it's telling because the core meaning of the Greek New Testament word sozo, in English, that would be spelled S-O-Z-O, -O, um, often translated save, actually means at its core, safety from harm. So here's an entry from a New Testament Greek lexicon. Uh, sozo, from sos, safe, rescued, properly delivery out of danger and into safety. So uh, you, you may know the New Testament was written in, in Greek, uh, even though it is a product of ancient Judaism, whose native tongue, of course, is Hebrew. But by the time of Jesus, there were probably more Jewish people in the diaspora, meaning uh, scattered throughout the Roman Empire in different enclaves, than actually lived in the land of Israel. 
And up until 1947, so five years before I was born, that's not that long ago in, in you know, geologic time, up until 1947, uh, when there was a massive discovery of Hebrew manuscripts near the Dead Sea, uh, also called the Qumran community, including large portions of the Hebrew Bible in ancient Hebrew. This was so remarkable because until 1947, we only had fragments of ancient Old Testament books in Hebrew, small little fragments. Um, and all the all the other translations we had of the Old Testament were in Greek. It was called the Septuagint translation until 1947. So it was a massive discovery shedding brand new light on the ancient Judaism that eventually produced uh, Christianity. So it was right about this the same period uh, of the uh, of the New Testament and the events of the Gospels and all that. So the only early New Testament manuscripts we and manuscripts we have are written in Greek. There, who knows, maybe there are some Hebrew manuscripts lying around there that'll eventually be discovered, that would be fun. Uh, so why did the Jewish writers or compilers who produced the New Testament choose the Greek term sozo, which means safety from harm, to refer to salvation? Because safety from harm is the core meaning of salvation in the sacred stories and writings of ancient Israel. Um, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, prevent, presents the problem of human rivalry leading to the major concern of scripture, which is human to human violence. Uh, I think it's in Genesis 5, it says something like, God saw how violence had spread across the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the concept of salvation really doesn't make its grand entrance in the Bible until the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, where it is depicted as bringing the suffering, oppressed, and enslaved Hebrews out of a situation of grave danger, of crushing and unrelenting harm, into a safe space. First, the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula with hopes of reaching a land flowing with milk and honey. So the imprint story of salvation is moving from a place of harm to a place of safety. The Greek word sozo, again, meaning safety from harm, while it's translated saved, that's the meaning, appears, I don't know, 54 times in the Gospels, and it applies to all sorts of things. Um, physical, emotional, spiritual healing, safety from enemies, safety from physical danger. In the Gospels, God does so-so, Jesus does so-so. But one of the things that really endears me to Jesus is he doesn't say, I saved you after like performing one of his uh, remarkable healings. More often than not, he says to the healed person, your faith has saved you. So, you know, if you meet with a therapist or a counselor for a while and they start to untangle your inner knots and you start feeling some relief, you, you understand that the therapist is not curing you, but is simply helping or coaching or guiding you to heal yourself. Now, recently I developed a, a IT band injury. I guess the IT band runs along the side of your leg and it, it's been putting a crimp in my walking game. So. Um, you know, achy and all that kind of stuff. I, 
I don't know, I thought, oh, maybe I'm getting arthritis because it was pain in the hip. And then I, I finally looked up the symptoms and I saw, oh my gosh, it's an injury common to athletes. At my advanced age, I have an athletic injury. This is awesome. So I'm quite proud of my IT band injury. I talked to the doctor because it wasn't getting better. Doctor prescribed physical therapy. I've been to the physical therapist a few times now. Uh, by the way, all physical therapists seem to be between the age of 24 and 32. It's the strangest thing. Um, and they're all extremely fit. But um, so I, I've been going to my uh, physical therapist and, you know, the job of a physical therapist, at least with IT band injuries, is to assess the situation and then basically just offer you exercises to do at home and then they monitor your progress. So their role is critical, but their role is like a catalytic one. They're helping me heal my IT band injury. So Sozo, this New Testament, I'm, I'm getting to the personal stuff in a minute. Just hang in there with me, all right? Sozo, this New Testament Greek word meaning safety from harm, is like that. It's something God does, it's something Jesus facilitates, and it's something we participate in. We participate in creating places of safety from harm. So divine influence is a catalyst for Sozo, but we are partners in creating safety from harm for ourselves and for others. Just to say it one more time, the work of saving from harm is a divine dance with humans whose communities are afflicted with the problems of rivalry, violence, and all the oppression and harm it foments. And, and now we know it's doing untold harm to the natural world and other living creatures so that we can struggle toward salvation, safety from harm and create different kinds of communities that are safer. So the point of this recap is to say, you know, I, I know many of you, not all of us for sure, uh, but, but many of us have come to Blue Ocean feeling battered and bruised and having gone through a process, often a gradual one, of learning to trust yourself and others in a faith community again. It's a, it's a lot like recovering from a physical injury. It takes time and it takes effort. They say um, physical pain and the pain of social rejection occur in the same part of the brain. That's why Tylenol can kind of help with social rejection pain. One of my famous, famous little factoids that I probably mentioned 10 times <laughs> in sermons over the years. Um, and I certainly hope that we are a portal in that storm. But today in my self-indulgent retirement series. I'm just talking about my personal experience as a pastor of Blue Ocean as a taste for me of safety from harm as a pastor. Uh, but first, here, here's a story from my varied pastoral career apropos of nothing, except this. For, for, you know, for many of you, I'm retiring from pastoral ministry here at Blue Ocean, but for me, I'm retiring from a, like a long career as the pastor spanning decades. So it's just an odd little story from my early years as a pastor. And it kind of helps me to bring uh, some of these stories out as I retire. So it's the early 1980s. I'm barely 30. I'm, I'm in pastoral leadership in a setting with all male pastoral leadership, which inevitably reinforces the notion of pastor as expert in life. 
Um, I don't care how great the male leaders are. It is a deeply dysfunctional system. And I would say it's a dangerous model of le leadership. But, but there I am. And a young man named Sam, um, there might be a few people who would recognize this name. His name was Sam Williamson, came to see me in my home office. And uh, he wanted to ask my opinion about some matter as though I had some considerable expertise. And uh, so, you know, toxic masculinity and patriarchy create weird prestige hierarchies among, among leaders. And I was so I was in one of those settings. It took uh, Sam a while to frame the question that he was bringing to me. And then it was time for me to weigh in with my expertise. I can remember the feeling something akin to pleasure at being regarded as an expert where this slightly younger than me person is coming for my opinion on this matter of much gravity. I might even been smoking a pipe, you know, <laughs> I mean, metaphorically, let's say I was smoking a pipe. But what I do remember vividly is the chair I was sitting in. It was one of those fake leather high back chairs, like office chairs on a swivel pedestal that rocked back and forth and swiveled with arms uh, on the chair, of course. And when it was time for, uh, after Sam framed the question, it was time for me to pontificate. I leaned back in the chair, and to my great surprise, I fell over backwards completely, flat on my back, with my legs sticking up in the air. And, you know, even though I was young and nimble at the time, it's actually quite awkward to extricate yourself from a chair like that when you're lying on your back on the floor. I mean, it's got arms, so you're, it's kind of holding you in. It's got swivels, so when you move, it swivels with you. So I'm just like, I flailed there for, for a while. Um, time, of course, slows to a crawl in such moments. I discovered there's no way in such a moment to recover your unearned and thus fragile dignity unnoticed. But that was a moment of uh, the beginning of a great unveiling for me because I began to see the absolute pretense of the situation. And I crawled out of my chair laughing. And I remained sprawled on the floor on all four, laughing almost hysterically <laughs> while Sam was just looking on in amazement. He had, he had no idea how to respond. Uh, that's. That's just one precious memory of the early 1980s that I bring with me into retirement and now I share with you. Now to my time at Blue Ocean and my experience of Sozo as a pastor. The first thing I noticed when we started in, um, this would be January of 2015, and, it, and this took some months to dawn on me, is that I felt oddly unencumbered or, or safe, you would say, from the pressure or the harm of religious scrutiny. Now, I, by saying religious scrutiny, I don't mean criticism, you know, in a healthy family or in a healthy community or church. We need to speak honestly about, hey, what you did or said, you know, this or that hurt or, you know, we, we need to deal with our inevitable conflicts and criticism is part of that. Uh, so I don't mean safety from criticism. I mean, I have experienced here at Blue Ocean 
safety from the burden of a certain religious scrutiny that I had normalized to in the years leading up to Blue Ocean. You know, we all, we all know what it's like to be in the crosshairs of someone's scrutiny. Uh, women and those who inhabit a minority set, uh, status certainly uh, understand this more acutely than I do. Uh, my only experience of this has been as a pastor, and, and I could have changed my careers anytime I wanted to, but when a pastor senses this like religious scrutiny in a congregation, and usually it's just a small but kind of a vocal segment of the congregation, then you, know, you put yourself under scrutiny whenever you speak, at least I did. You get in that habit of, especially when you're giving um, little sermons, you get in the habit of anticipating all probable objections to whatever you're saying so you can meet or at least not activate those objections that, that, that are usually grounded in religiously reinforced fear. I'm, I'm weary just describing it. It is a soul-wearing thing. Uh, did I mention I get to repeat stories that I like in this series, it being a self-indulgent last few sermons. Um, when I lived in married student housing at the University of Michigan uh, back in the day, we got one of those used uh, sofa beds from what was called the University of Michigan Property Disposition, where they would sell stuff that they had used in dormitories and whatnot. Um, pretty cheap. It was great. And I learned that furniture made for institutional wear and tear, man, it's solid. It, we're not talking Ikea. We're talking like, this is solid stuff. Moving this, um, this couch that was also a bed, a fold-out bed, moving it in was like moving a piano. And yes, I practiced lift with, with your legs and all, but the weight of the thing is transferred to your, ha your hands where you have to take hold of the of the thing. By the time I finally set it down in its new locations, my hands were like frozen in this like tight grip like this. And it took what felt like five minutes for them to just relax and open up again. It took about five months giving sermons at Blue Ocean for me to relax from whatever those internal habits that I had developed in response to religious scrutiny. I, I can remember one Sunday, I was um, like, I can picture it now. I, I was speaking out of my anticipate probable objections in advance mode. When I looked around the room and, and words to this effect came into my mind, the effect on me was as refreshing as a glass of cold lemonade on a hot day. And it was like, you are not under scrutiny from these people. This is not dodgeball. This is not a fencing match. Stop swatting away objections they don't have. You're boxing your own shadow. Just relax and get to your point. Save yourself some grief, friend. It was like, oh my gosh. I didn't even know such a thing was possible. Over these last eight years, I have saved myself a lot of grief that many pastors go through. That for me feels like a massive dose of sozo, 
of safety from harm. For you, it might sound like, oh, it just affects the way you experience giving sermons. No, no. And, and I can say it's like my faith in you has made me well. Uh, that same sense of relief from a certain kind of pressure has characterized so many other experiences I've had as a pastor here. Um, like meeting newcomers to the church. You know, I've met with newcomers in every phase of my career, but especially in chapter two, it occasionally, but recurringly felt like I was on the other side of a checklist that I was being like politely, sometimes not so politely, grilled for like correct religious answers to questions. That hasn't happened to me in eight years of talking with newcomers. It has been delightful. Or um, I think of my experience as a member of the church board has been positive, constructive, mutually respect, respectful, over eight years. I mean, that's a big deal for a pastor. I, I feel it in all the small groups and gatherings that I've been part of. You know, teachers today know what a burden scrutiny from parents and even concerned citizens is. You know, in recent years, educators have come under enormous scrutiny by pressure groups targeting educators with impossible to meet demands, with demands for them to do things that actually would go contrary to their best uh, instincts and wisdom as a teacher working with students. Teachers, you know, just imagine that just evaporating from the equation overnight in your local school. I mean, it's still part of the national educational landscape, but it's not in your local school. Imagine how that would feel. That has been my experience. I don't think it's possible for you to appreciate fully what a gift this is to a pastor. I mean, especially at this point in history, when there's so much turmoil and ferment in society, including in religion, what a gift it is to a pastor to be one's evolving and evolved self with a congregation they respect and admire. I mean, I, I talk to members of the clergy all the time who can't even imagine what that would be like. I don't even venture to tell them what it's like. It would be cruel. It would be like salt in their wounds. Every now and then I'll be uh, talking to Emily on the phone and she'll say, you know, we have a lovely community. And I'll say, we do, we really do. So I am hoping my year away will fly by fast and I'll be back at Blue Ocean as a relaxed congregant enjoying the heck out of their church. So thanks for listening. And I turn it back to, uh, to what's next. No, I'm not doing a meditation. We're just moving on. <laughs>